Welcome to our May edition of the Cinetopia podcast and radio show. I'm Amanda, a founder and director of Cinetopia, and I'm here with our fairly regular team. I'm here with Jim, co-producer of the of the show. Jim, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Looking forward, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, but looking forward to cinemas reopening. Um, maybe not in Glasgow, unfortunately, but uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, t- TBD on that. Not not this week for sure. Um, we're also back with Simon. So Simon's been here for the c- for past couple. Simon, how are you? How's London? Hi, yeah, good, thanks. Um, London's rainy, but again, looking forward to cinemas reopening uh, next week and hopefully Great. revisiting one at some point soon. Yeah. Absolutely. And so we're and Steph is back with us. Steph's a regular on our show. Steph, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Amanda. Um, just the same as everyone else, looking uh, forward to getting back to normal and going back to cinemas and carrying on with some normality that I think we've all missed quite a bit of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, so am I. I can't wait. I think um, the film house. I was. T- I was. I'm going to ask everybody. Uh, what film are they most excited to see coming up? Um, but I did take a look at uh, what's available right now in um, in Edinburgh. And yeah, we're, we're waiting <laughs> for the film house to open up, I think, on the 31st of May here. Um, but uh, yeah, I was just going to ask everybody, what's the first film they're, they're, they plan on seeing in the cinema when they when they when they can and they feel comfortable? Um. So I think I'll probably feel comfortable quite soon. Um, it's more in my case. It's probably more trying to find trying to find this a film I haven't already seen. Actually, um, I think there, there's a couple of films I'd be interested in seeing in the cinema though that I didn't, and I think Sound of Metal is probably up there for me. Um, I'd like to check that out because I think that I think that and we said this when we reviewed the film itself last month. I think it loses something when it's not seen in the cinema. So I'd like to go see that, and I think. Um, you know, I think um, I'm pretty confident to go quite soon, I think. Um, cinemas seem pretty safe. That one trip I made, it was the same screen as you, man, to go see the Sofia Coppola film and what feels like a lifetime ago at this point um, at the film house. That felt pretty safe at the time. Um, so, yeah, I think Sound of Metal, but I'll just see what comes out. There's a lot There's a lot of very big films coming out. There's a, quite a backlog, so I think I'm going to be fairly spoilt for choice um, in a few weeks. Yeah. And, and come to think of it, I haven't seen a good film in the cinema and, you know, since before <laughs> lockdown. Because um, why did I choose that one film to see? I expected there would be a lot more to choose from. Simon, which film are you looking forward to seeing or films um, in the future? Yeah, there's a cinema quite close to us that I think you'll be showing Nomadland. Um, and I haven't seen that, so it'd be good to catch up on it. Oh, but I've also been looking at the BFI South Banks, which got a pretty good program of kind of... Uh, repertory films older films so it's got like the seventh seal and the elephant man so i might uh catch one of those older films yeah i mean uh, bfi south bank is one of my favorite cinemas in the uk oh, yeah. i just it's absolutely terrific. love it um and i did catch a little glimpse of it on the oscars which we might briefly mention <laughs> at some point and uh yeah i got very nostalgic for for that First, that's that main cinema there. Steph, how about you? What are you looking forward to seeing? Um, um, at one of my local cinemas are doing quite a lot of old vintage classics. So I think that um, I think like Jim, it's going to be difficult to find one that um, it's obviously got a later release now that I've already seen to review and things. So I think I might revisit. I think that Taxi Driver is playing. I might revisit that in the cinema. It'd be a nice thing to see in a cinema. Obviously, having you know. 
it being slightly before my time and never having had the opportunity to do that. So I think that's one of the ones I'll check out when it reopens for sure. Great. And everyone, I'm, I apologize, but no, no one's looking forward to that King Kong film. I, I, I thought everyone was going to go to that. What was it? Kong versus what? Go, Godzilla versus Godzilla Kong. Godzilla versus Kong. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I watched that on, um, I've got a projector at home, so I thought it'd be <laughs> suitable for the projector at home. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was big and a gorilla hit a lizard. Which is what I expected from. It's, it. it's pretty much all you're looking for out of the film, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I'll check out at some point. Sure. Like, I, well, the problem is I hadn't seen any other one. I watched um, the, the, like the the Gareth Edwards Godzilla film. I actually thought it was pretty decent, you know. Um, but yeah, I've not. I think of the of yeah. this recent tranche, that's that's the high bar. Yeah, but I, I've not. I, I didn't want. I haven't actually seen like Kong Skull Island or anything. Like that. I mean, I didn't. Not that I'm imagining there's a lot of sort of like necessarily deep lore that I need to plug into for these <laughs> films, right? That means I'll be completely lost when the giant ape hits the giant lizard. But still, a lot of character you know. stuff about Kong's motivation. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. No, I don't doubt it. Don't doubt it. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing um, Yuram, which we interviewed the director a couple um, months ago, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing that in the cinema. I think that is touring around the UK, and if you're um, a documentary fan, um, this first, I think, cinematic documentary and Gal- Scottish Gaelic, and um, what was really, really interesting, really interesting film. It's quite beautiful. I'm also looking for- forward to outdoor film screening, so... Um, as many as I can find, and I, you know, we'll be having some announcements, so check out our website, but we will be announcing some planned Cinescapes, Cinetopia, outdoor film screenings this summer, so um, that that news is coming soon, so um, I'll be looking forward to uh, getting my rain jacket on, most likely, um, to manage those, and, uh, you know, do, do that as well, but um, there's, a, I mean, I've noticed that Berlin Alley is running all of their films outdoors, this summer and gosh um that sounds really exciting so just looking forward to seeing what's what we're going to do outdoors and in terms of film across the world um in terms of um i'm sure you guys all stayed up and watched the oscars um like me uh everyone (laughs) you you say these things want me to bite you do. I do. Yeah. You do that on Twitter, so that's yeah, that's. No, I I was I was sound asleep and I had a lovely night's sleep. A lovely <laughs> night's sleep. Fair enough. I just um I just wanted to make that point because I I think I'd um had just uh, uh listened to No Film School podcast, which is um um a, quite a popular one, and everybody on the the their Oscar review was complaining about how bad the Oscars was and. I just thought to to note you guys should probably listen to that one as well because you you're I'm I'm in the same company and I'm the only one out so um but yeah it was uh, the worst the worst uh watched ever and so that should make some of us happy I guess and others of us sad Yeah I I did wake up to all the stuff about like Anthony Hopkins not being the, 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 he just said like an absolute disaster to be perfectly honest but yeah you know so on this show, we're going to review four films. Um, the first film is First Cow by Kelly Reichert, who's co- that's coming out later in cinemas and I believe online um, later this month. The next film we're going to review is The Woman in the Window, which is currently on Netflix and it's directed by Joe Wright. 
Um, the third film is The Dog Who Wouldn't Be Quiet, a film um, by Anna Katz. And finally, we're going to be reviewing the documentary Some Kind of Heaven by Lance Oppenheim. Uh, Jim sat down with um, the director of Apples, um, Christos Niku, um, who we, we had, had originally reviewed that for the Glasgow Film Festival special, but now Apples is coming out in um, cinemas as well. So that's all for our May show. Stay tuned. Call me Cookie. My mother died when I was born, and then my father died. I never stopped moving. It's the getting started that's the puzzle. No way for a poor man to start. You have a cow. First cow in the territory. Same place for cows. Well, it's no place for a white man either. I sense opportunity here. Give me another. I'll give you six ingots for that last one. I taste London in this game. We have to take what we can when the taking is good. Seems dangerous. So, uh, the first film we're going to review is Kelly Reichardt's next latest film, First Cow. Uh, and Steph, tell us about this film. Thank you, Amanda. Yeah, um, this film is pretty much set in the Oregon Territory, so next to a self-made civilization called um, Fort Tickleum. Um, so you have this um, kind of contrast between this new kind of older civilization from the 1800s, and it follows a gentle young man called Cookie, played by John Magro, who a lot of people will probably recognize from Orange is New Black as Lorna's partner, Vince Michio who finds Chinese immigrant King Lu, played by Orion Lee, on the run. Um, he's on the run, um, naked, shivering and cautious, so it already kind of looks a little bit like a Western tale, but flips immediately. So unlike many of the others that King Lu seems to have encountered on the trail, Cookie is very hospitable and offers shelter and food. And a friendship between the two men lends itself to a biscuit baking business in search for capital and prosperity. But the reliance on stolen milk from the lone cow belonging to the chief factor presents as many opportunities as it does inevitable tragedy. Um, so I've been waiting for this film to come out for quite um, come available for quite a while, and I, I wasn't disappointed. I really enjoyed it. I'm wondering um, everyone else's thoughts on this because it's one of those films that I thought was going to go a lot differently than it did. Yeah, I I, I thought the same. I um have also been waiting for this stuff because I think it did the festival circuit in. America ages ago it seems like and it came out in America uh, a long time ago it's been waiting for UK distribution um and I don't know what I was expecting but it was fantastically uh slow and meditative and really drew me in really drew me into the uh, eventual narrative about the kind of uh, start of capitalism developing against the the sort of backdrop of this this natural world um and the way things could have gone differently at this sort of pivotal moment in history yeah um i loved this film 
I thought it was really great. Um, now, I, I, I rather like Kelly Reinhardt's style as a filmmaker. Um, the, the first film of hers I saw was Night Moves, um, which is a very... If you want to be uncharitable about the film, or if you didn't like it, it's, it's a film you would undoubtedly end up describing as slow. Um, and I think that is probably something that you could you could level at first cow as well. But what that doesn't get across is the fact that it's not so much slow as it's just it's just a gentle pace. Um, it's not a style of storytelling which I think looks to cram a lot in and artificially up the stakes and this film just from the way that the relationship between uh king lou and cookie develops and then this sort of this very specific type of peril they put themselves in by you know stealing the milk of this prize cow um it, it blends very well with kelly reichardt's style of filmmaking there's there's so many scenes where it's the the entire kind of premise and setting is just left to to breathe a little um and i enjoyed it enormously it reminded me of night moves which is a film which i i don't recall it being amazingly thought of at the time i certainly don't think it was negative but it, it, it reminded me of that very strongly and i just really enjoy that mode of storytelling and the little things that it weaves in about kind of the the politics of the situation and the relationship between the characters in terms of their kind of economic and class status and things like that. It's also a really smart film, um, but it does it in a way where it's all told very organically. There's no there's no soapbox on which it's making a point. It just it tells a very, it, it, it to my mind it just tells a very good story, and it manages to weave in some other stuff alongside that, which I also find very interesting. So I, I was a big fan of this. I think it's it's been a long time coming um, in terms of a UK release, but I think it was well worth the wait myself. I hear, I mean, I, I too was looking forward to the film, um, you know, just from all the buzz that came out um, about it. And um, I, I guess I'm just the least... I, I enjoyed it the least the, of the three of you. Uh, I don't know. I think it's in part just because my I tend to dislike the genre of the Western to you know people in the woods sort of thing. I'm thinking of like the the um, the Good Brothers or what was that the film that uh, what was it the Sisters Brothers, the Sisters and, Brothers. Uh, yeah. and then you the the film that you made me watch jim uh, nightingale or something like that um, that's, that's so, just what that film is known as forever yeah. more, the, isn't it yeah yeah the jennifer kent film i've yeah. just been inundated on this podcast with a lot but no i mean it's a great film it's beautiful it's um you know it is really slow um it's just probably not my type of film so i i did find it sometimes um just i did find it not something i was like blown away by and yeah i mean i certainly got the you know the the interesting connections of you know America before capitalism and or I mean you know before it takes off and and everything like that, but uh, just wasn't something that um, it it didn't blow me away as much as I ho- had hoped it would. I mean, it certain I it was really particularly taken by the four by three aspect ratio and sort of how all the shots were um, you know kind of closed in, and so it definitely made it feel more personal, personable, and personal. And I definitely thought the acting was you know quite good. Um, 
but I'm not that you know I I, I I didn't love it like you did Jim or or you did stuff I can I can kind of see that though like I'd be interested to know what other people think about this but it's what like Kelly Reichardt as a filmmaker I don't think I don't think our films benefit well from kind of massive build-up and a lot of anticipation because they're not the sort of like the, the, to my mind they're not the sort of films that kind of like explode onto the screen and you know maybe grab you immediately they are the sort of things that you need to kind of sink into i think and find its rhythm or at least that's what i've yeah. found um so i do wonder if it's just a game maybe the maybe with um you know people like me saying oh yeah no it's really good i loved it and it's just been kicking around for so long and i was like oh christ this first cow i mean i need what like it's maybe a case of it's maybe the sort of film that doesn't particularly you know i mean i i don't think any film benefits from you know overhyped expectations but i do wonder if kelly reichardt's films are maybe particularly susceptible to suffering from that maybe i also think it i mean it certainly has to do with my attention and what i can what i can deal with with streaming films now and um I mean, I, I think of some films like Happy as Lazzaro, I loved, uh, but I saw it in the cinema and I sort of appreciated its beauty. And I've, you know, like seeing it on a screen, it's quite dark. You know, uh, the the film is quite, uh, First Cow is quite dark in certain places. I think it might, it might have, it might have helped. This might have been the film I should have gone to the cinema to see the first, you know, see because it would have, it would have forced me to kind of get into the pacing a little bit better um possibly you know yeah i think like sound and metal the 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 sound and the quiet of the film is is so important to it and i think yeah that would really benefit from being seen in a cinema absolutely when it comes to sort of things that fall in the spectrum of the western genre that's not a type of film that has ever really landed with me i'll never you know refuse to watch something by its genre but it's never been consistently one that really gets me quite absurd i think the reason that i think that unlike other ones, other predecessors of that genre. I think that it's not the Western that you think it is. When you go look at the cinematography and you look at everything's very much incorporated within the land and in the setting. So, and even the people, even the melting pot of all the characters and the way that they're dressed, it does, tra- it does transport you into kind of the 1800s very easily. So I think automatically you were expecting a much different film than, than First Cow is, especially the way that it's, the way that it paces and sets itself up to be. You kind of already kind of have that illusion that you're not going to get what you're expecting. Um, much of the things that happen almost seem to seem to me to be kind of a reversal of how things work in kind of Western style filmmaking. You know, you have there's no real gunfights and shootouts, and there's no one really. There's not really any massive focal point of conflict, which I think is very unusual. Instead of like, even though you kind of you have the seeds of capitalism between the soils, and you have oh, you do have in little. Um, specks of um, tension that build up to something as it goes on but you know the more you watch it it's sort of something that it focuses more on kind of companionship and friendship than it does with conflict and I think that was really nice to see if um, especially if you kind of when it begins you find that um, these um, skeletons being dug up from the soil and then that transports you very gently into the story um, of where they of where they came from and the and um, the civilization that existed before, and how certain things are very much different now, but how things have kind of carried on very consistently, and how I quite like that kind of linear aspect of it, where it was less and kind of 
it was less focused on the conflict with the cow and the everything, and it was more focused on the, this friendship between these two these two men. And I think that was just, I just like never seen anything like it. I think if I had seen um, like Jim Jim a lot of um, Kelly Rickard's um, filmography, I would have been more kind of expecting what First Cow was. But I think if you go in it without knowing anything that that she's done before you will be very pleasantly surprised at how, how different this kind of sort of filmmaking is because it is a very simple story mm-hmm. and I think that especially now we like to overcomplicate films to degrees that they don't even work anymore and this is a very nice tribute to simple filmmaking that I, I think works very well but I, I, I do think that it's one of those films that will land with you or it just won't and it's just mostly to do with the pacing and the kind of tone of the film is not something that you might have signed up for yeah i think the tone in particular is 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 where i expected something different because i think i expected more like coen brothers kind of tone yeah um more of a a a funny kind of uh thing and it didn't draw me into the narrative straight away it sort of snuck up on me um and it started out just absolutely gorgeous it's gorgeous throughout uh it's wonderfully shot it's absolutely beautiful. It's it's for free, like you say, Amanda. Um, an obvious tribute to Zack Snyder's Justice League, um, but it's she she really uses that frame uh, to emphasise the, the 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 composition of the shots, and sometimes she narrows the frame even further. The shots like between tent flaps and shots through windows that narrow the frame even further just really highlight the composition. Mm-hmm. Um, but all this beauty sort of drew me into it, and eventually I did find myself fully engaged with the narrative and and really invested in it um you know it is slower it's it's more meditative, but sometimes cinema is just watching two men stealing milk from Toby Jones to make scones, and that's lovely. We can't forget the Scottish um character in there, Ewan Bremner as well that was that was kind of amusing to me. It, uh, well, actually, I need to I need to thank First Cow for saving uh, my perception of Ewan Bremner's performances <laughs> in films at Glasgow Film Festival because I think we're far enough removed from Glasgow Film Festival now that I thought Creation Stories were f- awful. So <laughs> we at least got we at least got you know and Ewan Bremner is a performer I really like, so I was pleased that there was at least a film that he was uh, he's really good in. I the only other thing I, I kind of want to say about First Cow is just a pick up on Steph's point about. Um, you know, not overcomplicating narratives and simple um, storytelling. And I think that's what I really enjoyed about this film. I think anybody who's, like, you know, read a bit of what I've written about films or has, you know, listened to this show before knows that sometimes the films that I get on the most with are when somebody just tells a story well. And it's just for such a simple statement, it's such a hard thing to do. And there's a lot of and, and there's a lot of films that do that, and because they don't do it in a particularly, you know, the, the, I'm not even going to say showy manner because there are there's stuff that that Reichardt does in here, which you if you're looking for it, it is quite showy, but it's not a particularly ostentatious way of doing it. I think is the way I would put it. Um, you know, like Miss Juneteenth of the films that we've reviewed in the show, that's one that I would think of, where that was juggling a lot of balls and it, it just told the story very well. I'd, I'd put this in the same category, and it allows, to me, the points where the script wants to have little flourishes or little 
quotable moments even i i think it it works really well and it's like there's one part where you know they can't they can't possibly understand how they're managing to get away with this and it's just it's the line some people can't imagine being stolen from talking about toby jones is very kind of like you know up himself uh well-to-do rich colonial sort um and I, I just thought that was a beautiful line. I think it summed up kind of that that situation like really quite quite beautifully in some of the themes of the film. So it, it's more that deliberate sparsity in the story really to me allows these bits to come shining through. Um, and it's not it's not trying to say too much, but what it does say it says extremely well and it says it extremely effectively. And I think that all comes from that. Um, that storytelling approach where it is it, it i don't want to say only what is necessary um but it's more it does it is a very uncluttered narrative for me and i think that's that's the strength of the her films that i've seen before and i think it's what comes through very clear to me on this one yeah there's a there's an attentiveness to the film um like there's lots of shots of bird watching and mushroom picking and the kind of quiet attention to nature mm-hmm. um but I think that reflects the filmmaking because I think the filmmaking, like you say, is very attentive. It's very focused. Even though this was, you know, meant to be in the 18th century, it was like all the characters were so authentic. I think, um, you know, um, John Margot's character, even though with the dress and everything, and obviously with the situations being completely different from modern day, I could imagine him. I could imagine bumping him into him in the street because it was just something that transcended almost eras. Just the gentleness and the kind of um, the kind of humanity that still kind of exists within people is such a, like a gem to see. Um, almost people that are living in the society that are written quite timelessly. And if anyone unfortunately follows me on social media, I never shut up about Ewan Bremner. I absolutely love him. So <laughs> I was just so happy to see him being utilised well in a film. I feel like he's one of these actors that never quite gets enough really good independent writing to showcase the talent he's got because he, he, he has all these bit parts and stuff. But it's nice to see him and I think he really thrives well in a lot of independent productions. So I, it's nice to see kind of people being resurrected in film. I think he's one of those actors that seems to have been lost a little bit back in the 90s and people forget that he is still very much working and he's still got a lot of potential. No, he's um he's terrific actually. I it's like I think actually one of his best performances is a little bit overlooked. I mean, like anybody knows me knows I'll, I'll bang on about this at the, 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 any opportunity. But actually the train spotting sequel, I think he's fantastic in that. I think he's the best thing in that film. Um mm. but yeah, no, you're right. He's kind of, he seems to end up with supporting roles a lot, so I think people can sometimes forget about him. And have you seen Creation Story stuff? I haven't. No, I haven't seen that one. That's been on my list for a bit, but I'll, I'll, my list is now reaching down meters. But I, I will eventually get there. <laughs> <laughs> I will eventually get there. It's been one I've been wanting to check out for a while. So well, anyway, well, um, despite my aversion for. Uh, you know, two p two uh, two p friends in the in the woods. I um I think everybody else uh, highly highly recommends this film. I'm gonna check it out in the cinemas. I've decided to get the full experience and uh, go check it out um in the cinema or online. I believe it's at the twenty eighth. Twenty eighth, yep. Twenty eighth of May. And it'll be on uh yeah, it'll be on movie as well. If you're not, if you haven't got a cinema showing it near you.
what's the latest on the street. Your neighbor, she's become a friend. Her name is Jane Russell. Do you want to go outside? You know, I have a shrink of my own. <laughs> Mr. Russell believes that you made a mistake. You have never met my wife. Ma'am, you all right? I know Jane. Jane's been in my house. I'm Jane Russell. Okay, so the next film that we're going to review is The Woman in the Window, directed by Joe Wright. It's currently on Netflix. Um, and Simon, uh, take it away. What, what's this film about? Yeah, uh, Amy Adams plays Dr. Anna Fox, uh, a child psychologist who lives on her own in a big Manhattan house. Um, Anna suffers from agoraphobia uh, after a traumatic event. Um, she can't leave the house uh, and she watches the world through her windows. She watches her neighbours uh, and she watches what goes on on her street. Uh, a new family move in across the road, the Russell family, um, and she gradually meets uh, the members of the family, played by Gary Oldman and Julianne Moore and Fred Hetchinger. Um, and as she watches through the window one night, she sees uh, a murder. She sees uh, violence. And she's drawn into the investigation of, of what she saw through the window. Um, so it's kind of a rear window-inspired kind of Hitchcockian thriller. Um, yeah, it's got a storied production history. Um, it was made by 20th Century Fox for release, I think, in 2019, but they pulled it after test screenings and it went for re-editing. Then the COVID pandemic came along and it was sort of unceremoniously sold to uh, Netflix at some point. So now it's out on Netflix. And yeah, I'll be interested to hear what, everyone else thinks well i i wasn't completely sold on this film i think it got for me it was like you said it was very very hitchcocking but almost to the point of satire i felt like it was so busy trying to be a certain type of, of film that it kind of lost the narrative quite rapidly along the way there was all these references to obviously rear window being the most abundant through the whole thing and then almost Amy Adams at points. I, I I love Amy Adams. I think that she's excellent. I think that that there's almost flashes of her kind of old performances and, and stuff like um, Arrival and Sharp Sharp Objects being there. But at the same time, it felt so mixed in with her trying to resurrect her as some sort of modern Marnie that it was just completely lost in the writing. And um, I think there was just far too much homage to a particular type of film that it, that it didn't try and establish itself either as an homage or as anything in between. It, there was even, I remember like looking at one point in the film and the, as she was going down the stairs and it almost felt like I was watching Bates Motel 
was, it was just sort of like a mashup of everything Hitchcockian was was going on there, but none of it none of it was really ever followed through into mean into anything. I I didn't see the point in really utilizing all these references for it to not really lead up to anything other than to say that it wants to be a Hitchcockian thriller. I think it needs to do much more than that to do and um, nearly half of what it was trying to do. And and saying that, you know, that sounds incredibly harsh. I think there was stuff that was quite interesting about it. I quite like the way that it used um. I think with a lot of these films, um, um, when it talks about trauma and stuff, it's very difficult to show that on screen. And I think that I think that that is one of the one, one of the things it did really well was kind of show how um, trauma can come in and out of consciousness and how that presents itself. The one thing that I will say about the whole mental illness trope in film is that when <laughs> I feel like it got to, but there was loads of references. There was obviously agoraphobia being the main. Um, the main catalyst, what was going on with Amy Adams, but then you know there was references to anxiety and and beta blockers, and there was a bit of mania thrown in. And I think if you're going to talk about the effects of mental illness, if you want want to do it kind of in an academic way and and not not glamorize it, but also you know don't don't demonize it either. You kind of have to have a focal point of what kind of illness that you're trying to address. I don't know what really was going on at the end. There was a lot. There was a lot of things going on, and I I don't think necessarily that it was a a poor representation of what because I'm not really sure that what it was beginning to represent. There was so much going on. I think it was one of the, those films that sadly suffered from trying to speak about too much and never fully having having a conclusion to anything that was really happening. Um, again, that also sounds a bit a bit harsh. I, I th- there, it wasn't a, it was not a terrible film by by any means. It just wasn't one. I think it was one of those ones that was too wrapped up in trying to represent Hollywood icons that it was losing its own kind of sense of self. I don't know what anyone else kind of thought about it. I feel like I, I'm never usually this blunt with them. I, but it's difficult to be dishonest if you were. It didn't really land with you. I, I yeah, I agree. I, I thought it was just edited within an inch of its life it's it's clearly had a lot of work added to it it felt like a lot of the hitchcock references were added after the fact just to like point to the audience like you get this right we're doing we're doing a hitchcock thriller you get this right um and it it just felt like it had too many elements that didn't cohere at all it particularly falls apart towards the end when people just start monologuing, like characters just start doing monologues like they're on a, doing a stage play, um, which, you know, has its place and really just didn't work here. I, hmm, I, I, I think I, I clearly liked it more than either of the two of you. Um, I don't think it's great. Like, I mean, let's get that out the gate here. <laughs> and and like, I, I've been in this position on this show before, right, where... As the person who thinks it's fine, right, it can end up with me thinking it's, uh, it's you, loved it. you know, vertigo or it's rear window, right? And it's very, <laughs> I, as as the film itself is all too painfully aware, it's very much not. Um, I, I thought it was, I, I, I enjoyed this fine. Um, I think I've been reasonably interested in the way Joe Wright makes films um, a little bit, and and the one I've got in mind here is that I think probably the last thing that I can think of, at least that he did, which I think was generally pretty well regarded, was uh, Anna Karenina, and I did just the way he uses space and the way the the camera kind of moves around that space. I think is quite a 
it, it can be quite interesting. I think it works quite well for storytelling purposes. Overall, this this film is very, very hammy. It's very amped up. Um, I think that's deliberate. And what I will say is, regardless of anything else we say about the film, it is definitely the best film that will come out this year with the line, I like cat's tongues, uh, which is one of the weirder <laughs> lines which I've heard uttered by a character in recent memory. Um, I, th- I, I thought it was okay. I thought it was okay. I mean, it does it, it does go fairly absurd and it's very amped up but to a certain extent i i feel like that's what it was going for um and in that in that respect i don't think it could be criticized for being too over the top in fact it reminded me of a film that i watched like a while ago at glasgow film fest so it was some there was a belgian film and i can't even remember what the name of it was but it was another one of these films that was very obviously trying to go for Hitchcockian, right? It is the, the you know probably the mo- one of the most overused words in, in film criticism, but it's one of those films where it was definitely doing that. It was basically an homage to Hitchcock, and I think again, similar to this, I I like that film more than most seemed to at the time. I think what doesn't work in this film, I mean, there are several things that don't work in the film, right? But I think the one that maybe stands out the most is it is trying to do too much. And Steph touched upon this in terms of the talking about um, how it addresses mental illness. In particular, I think kind of the way that the main character played by Amy Adams has uh, responded to trauma and how it deals with her agoraphobia and the source of it. I think that was just one too many things for it to do, right? And if you think back to Rear Window, of course, right, um, Jimmy Stewart's character, he's got a broken leg, right? So he is housebound, but it's it's through a, a physical ailment. And I feel like there was maybe this attempt to distinguish itself by taking on a mental health aspect and trying to weave that into how she's responding to this um, event, perceived or not, because, of course, that's part of it, Um across the street and it, it blends into a lot of why her perception of these events is is questioned and i don't think that was done particularly well i think like technical elements around um you know the camera movements the use of music sounds um and other stuff like that i actually think it did that pretty well i think the script and particularly the way it dealt with that and tried to weave that into that that was pretty ropey stuff um and I think the melodramatic tone allows it to hide some of that in the sense that it will move along pretty quickly after. But I think that's definitely the weakest part of it. Um, and I think your reaction to this film is probably going to depend on how badly that grates against you. I think it it, it got away with it with me, but I, I can fully see how it won't for for many. I found it pretty, I found it pretty effective, um, but there are elements of the film that are unfortunately distracting for what i think its strengths were um it does have them but i think it was maybe it just had too many of these elements that just detracted from it and for a lot of people that's just going to add up to too much i think it was difficult to take some of the people in the film quite seriously i know that we were supposed to the whole way kind of through is see gary oldman's character you know um the father across the road is this kind of villainous kind of person that's behind all these shenanigans going on and and uh, sort of seems like 
it sort of seemed like sort of this old classic melodramatic dramatic kind of villain from like a hammer house kind of thing going on but at the same time I think it was so focused on this is the villain that you even though it might not be you have to be focused on this is the character that's you know quite sinister and and, and whatnot and at the same time I could it was difficult to find any of these characters quite believable it was so busy with the aesthetics I think it lost the opportunity to create any resemblance of a human being at some points like Gary Oldman was just I mean at some points was more frenzied than anyone but out of nowhere and I don't think that mm. not I don't think that was necessarily anything to do with Gary Oldman I think it was more so laced into how things were written and how things weren't connecting properly again I think that depending on your perception you people will see this and think get quite a lot out of these characters which I think is fair enough I think it just depends on the way that you, the what angle you watch this film at and what you get from it I don't it's going to be, I think for definite, it's going to be one of those films that continue to have a very mixed reviews about it, if not so. Um, but I, again, I think I think even though like, obviously there's a difference of opinion between me and Simon and Jim, I think that it, it's fine to get what you get out of this film. I think there is some things, especially technically, that do work very well. I liked how they showed um, like the resurrection of trauma through kind of sleep patterns and um, the connection with like, kind of physical media and, and things like that, but I don't... I think for me that's kind of where it stops, um, but again, I think it's very open to interpretation and in, in some points of what you will get of what it's really trying to say. I, I liked a lot of the performances, like Gary Oldman's giving it a hundred percent. You know, Amy Adams has done better performances, but she's she's not bad here. Um, it's just all in service of characters that are badly underwritten, that that need more motivation, that need more 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 backstory like um jennifer jason lee's in it for a bit and her character appears for a bit and then goes away at the end and she she doesn't get enough to do I, I, in some ways i would be interested to to read the book right because and i i don't like they're very different mediums so i, I don't want to speak out of here but it strikes me as like and as I say, I, I I enjoyed parts of the film, but ironically enough, I think the parts of the film I enjoyed are the bits that Joe Wright brought to it as a filmmaker, right? And you know, and also elements of the performances, particularly Amy Adams. But I I don't think it's the best efforts by anybody involved, to be honest. But the the actual kind of like the way some of the sequences were constructed. I, I, I kind of enjoyed, the, but I'd be interested to read the book itself because it strikes me as the worst sort of airport fiction that I would just hate, quite frankly. I, and, 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 you know, I'm probably I'm probably being extremely uncharitable. I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who like the book. I think it went, you know, it was at the top of the New York Times bestseller list or something for either absurdly quickly or for an absurdly long time or something. I don't know. But it, it doesn't. It, it doesn't strike. I mean, it, it put it this way, if any of the dialogue... I like cats' tongues, is taken straight from the book, then that is going to be one ropey-ass book, to be perfectly honest. Um, so, yeah, there are things I liked about the film, but I think they were mo- they mostly came from film as a medium and the approach to making it, you know, for for visual storytelling. And did it always hit that mark? No, probably not. But I do think that... I, I, I honestly think some of the weakest aspects of this probably come from the, the source material. It's in the same way that I think maybe some people would have read you know dan brown's books and thought they were going to make excellent 
film. I mean, okay, they're not great mm-hmm. books, right? But they're page turners, and I can imagine you thinking they would make an excellent film, and they didn't. They made absolutely dreadful films. Um, I, I think this has come out better than any of those films, for instance, but your mileage may vary, as they say. Yeah, I think airport fiction is, is the right term for yeah. it. Um, and there, there's a fascinating New Yorker article about the um, author uh, of the of the novel, Dan Mallory, who writes under the pseudonym A.J. Finn. Um, I won't go into it too much, but it, his life sounds like it would have made a more interesting film than this. Um, yeah, I, I'd recommend anyone read that article. I do, it's funny you say that because you post that article. I read that article, and yeah, yeah. you saying it like his life would make for a more interesting film. As I understand it, the that article is being adapted into a, a mini series. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, there yeah. you go. <laughs> he he doesn't seem universally liked in the publishing industry. I'll say that. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you like airport fiction, it sounds like you should check out The Woman in the Window, and it's on Netflix, so it's readily available. Um, go ahead. All right, so the next film we're reviewing is... Anna Katz is the dog who wouldn't be quiet. And Jim, um, tell us about this film. So I think I've partially ended up with telling everybody about this film because it is quite a hard film to describe, I think. (laughs) Um, So I saw this at Sundance um, at the start of the year. And it's a a strange film in the sense that it covers a very long span of time. But it's also a very short film. It's, uh, It's probably the shortest film we've reviewed on the show for quite some time, maybe ever, as a feature film. It's only 73 minutes long. Uh, and basically we follow uh, one guy, um, Sebastian, who I think is who is played by Anna Katz, the director's brother, Daniel Katz. And it starts off with this kind of inciting incident, um, which is where the film gets its title from. Uh, and he is asked by his neighbour what the deal is with his dog. It's crying all day. It's making... Uh, noises it's the dog who wouldn't be quiet and from here we then basically set off on i i i said this in my written review of it it does end up kind of a shaggy dog story um you know just leaving from one but one point to another is it's quite quite funny in that way um but you know you start off with because his neighbors can't cope with the dog wailing while he's away at work he starts taking the dog to work um so the dog is then he's basically told by his hr department you you go or the dog goes um so he goes um so he finds a new job and this is now sort of like caretaking on a farm and then there's a there's a tragic incident and that's it and basically it's all these different vignettes from his life um and basically what we've spoken about there are kind of the first the first three and it's these basically just steps from one to the other and until we get you know quite far down the line of this guy's life um we're basically the the way i viewed it as is it's kind of this the, the drastic differences in direction you can end up with over time as a result of very small things and the sources of those things are sometimes quite interesting. They're to do with um, how you make connections with people, how you're exploited in certain economic systems, perhaps, and and things like that. And I find it an absolutely fascinating, very low-key film. 
throughout it, there's this whole kind of absurdist, dark, maybe not even particularly dark, but just kind of like absurdly deadpan comedy going on um, in the background. At one stage, there is uh, some sort of pandemic afflicted. It seems to have unfortunately happened to a bunch of films that came out around about this time. I don't think this was part of the part of the um, imagination it would come out during this sort of time. There's a you know a pandemic but basically it affects the air but only above a certain ground so the people need to crawl around on the ground to avoid breathing in this poisoned air and there's all these sort of things going on but then some of the commentary that um the film weaves in around that is very satirical and funny but also very pointed and actually makes a lot of interesting points um i've kind of given the game away there and i i really like this film um i it is one I am fascinated to see what other folk made of, though. So, who wants to either join me or puncture my bubble? I'll join you. I, I mean, I actually, I, I loved this film um, in, in lots of ways, and I, it's interesting that you mentioned low key, and we talked a lot about low key with First Cow. I think there are aspects of low key to this, but I, it's more my type of film, an absurdist kind of story. Um, I liked that it was short. I think I think things are like Boyhood that you, you know you're journeying along the life of uh, somebody and you're following them. And from what I read, they took quite a few years to 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 film this. So it's being short, but that that it's different parts of. I, I don't know if that has to do with production or whatnot, but that four different cinematographers were involved in this, and yet it seems like a very very cohesive film. Um, I do think that the 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 bubble incident, if you will, uh, or you know the the, the meteorite uh, disaster was was quite out of was quite amusing and also quite poignant at this stage because it makes you think about you know how quick life goes and you know they they keep saying things like oh it'll go away in six months and then you know then in, in within a minute you're you know you're back to normal and yeah um, there, there's so, one point where it says like i think the doctor says something like god willing in one year we'll be back to normal and it's like oof, that line hits hard <laughs> <laughs> i know it's so so there there's so much to take from it right now um and uh it, it it, it it blends the line of yeah like absurdism and uh and you know and pathos and humor all in in, in something so i am quite i'm quite interested to see Katz's other work because i then read a little bit about um her sort of being part of the you know um you know what was the new argentine cinema sort of like second wave of that and i, I i'm looking forward to seeing more because i was very very intrigued and very excited to see this it was it was a lovely film to watch i think i'm i'm cooler on the film than you two i i <laughs> like first cow it, it started off quite slow and contemplative but unlike first cow it never drew me in to mm. the to the narrative into the into the film um I liked how it took time to reflect on its images, like a lonely sandwich on a bus seat or someone slicing slowly into an aubergine. Um, <laughs> and there's a lot of beauty to be seen in it. But for me, it was strongest when it was uh, focusing on that absurdism, on that on the, that, that central irony, um, those centrally ironic elements like the... Uh, the the sun switched to a pandemic film and and the sort of uh the contrast at the start between everyone complaining about this dog and the dog seeming quite pleasant actually. <laughs> like he's, yeah. he seems like a quiet dog um 
And I really enjoyed that 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 conflict and the kind of Kafka quality to that to that um to how that was developing. But then it never seemed to 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 develop on that for me and it came across as just a bit disjointed and meandering. Beautiful but meandering. Uh I really, really liked this film. it, it kind of transport you back to when we were I think it was a few podcasts ago now, and we're all um, diving into the works of uh, Roy, Roy Anderson. And this film kind of reminded me a lot of his work. It's sort of like a really dark and apocalyptic version, for sure. But you had that um, blend of humour and, um, and kind of humanity in the same breath and how awkward it all is. And sort of worked kind of like, it reminded me a lot of Songs of the Second Floor, like a big visual poem about... Um, the whole like it starts off with kind of one focal point, one person, and it kind of blends into how everyone's living and how um how these connections kind of manifest themselves and how, and and in the same and in the same way how people end up becoming disconnected and how things don't kind of flourish in the same way anymore. I really enjoyed that aspect of it, and I think that I think there was a very very much a a great quietness to the film. I, you needed to, I think, if you weren't drawn in. From the off, from the onset, it was very difficult to get back into the film. If you were only getting kind of drawn in near the middle, I don't think that you would have had the same experience. I think that it's one of those things that you had to like as as the kind of as as it opens um, more so than anything else. And much like Anderson's work, I think, um, to really kind of appreciate the kind of vignettes and and things and the situations that um go through them. But I I just think that um. Especially, I think, with it being black and white as well, it was really a nice aesthetic to what the to- the topic it was talking about. We had this whole kind of pandemic and this <laughs> really um, kind of guy that's really been having a tough time. That he can't, he's not meshing well with his neighbours. He's having problems at work, and it's all just. But then, when things couldn't get anyone any worse, you know, you can't stand up to walk around without a big bubble over your head. So I think that <laughs> it it goes it transports through time very well, and. I loved how um, you kind of have the it goes to the highest of absurdities in quite a, a short amount of time, but nothing sort of straight, nothing kind of throws you off. It's almost like, oh, of course that's going to happen next. There's nothing really too unusual in this film because everything's so different, but also almost so relatable. I think that it does have one that 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 problem where it's came out at this time during a pandemic and everyone's sort of going to relate everything to that. I think. I think there was slightly more to it than just the pandemic. I think that, much like Anderson, it's sort of exploring the different corners of life that we don't often take the time to think about. Um, so, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's one of those films that is really my cup of tea, though, to be yeah. fair. I mean, and, and I have to say, if it does become a, a noted as a, a pandemic film, I like it a lot more than the first pandemic film we reviewed, which was Vivarium. Um, so just to, <laughs> just to note that, I think I think I think Vivarium was maybe just too soon. You know, because I saw it, I had like I saw it in person at Glasgow Film Festival. It was right after, (laughs) it was right after the first lockdown. It was way too soon to be about like you know a couple who couldn't get out of their house. (laughs) This takes the the pandemic a little bit lighter, and yeah, (laughs) we will get through it. So we're thinking about the pandemic in relation to like cinema just now, because with um. 
with the woman in the window, I did have a quick browse to see what people were saying about it out of curiosity, and I actually saw, I don't know what review it was, but I, I saw someone linking it to COVID-19 and saying it's all about social distancing and her being unable to leave the house, and I was like, hmm. I feel like... The, People are just reaching for the COVID analysis. Yeah. Now. I was about to say, this is this is where you put put up that gif from Thor Ragnarok, and just going, "Is it though? <laughs> is it?" <laughs> I, I, one thing I actually rather liked about this film, because like, it has a point to make about like some political stuff, and I I think the um, the absurdist elements work really well to do that. Um, you know, because where it comes the most is the pandemic element of it, right? And how you avoid this illness is either by having like a giant bubble on your head or crawling around on the ground. And it's just reducing kind of like the inequalities that the characters in the film are experiencing um, through this like completely absurd signifier. It really does hammer home um, what a problem that is. Um, and I think it's just an interesting way to make that sort of point to me. It's an interesting way to get that theme and kind of how struggle, how how people struggle against systems, in an interesting way. And I think it it really shows up how good satire is extremely effective by highlighting these things. And I think this film does it at a number of points pretty well. But I think that's where it stuck out to me the most um I, i'm just really impressed with the film i thought it was, i thought it was really good and i think it i, I think it looks excellent as well i think uh, steph's point about the aesthetics of the film is really really something worth noting as well i think it's an extremely good looking film as well it's got the you know it's got the style to go with it i think there's points where it it kind of switches from um you know cinematography to kind of storyboard art yeah where mm. there's there's kind of events that are too massive too traumatic to to be expressed mm. through cinema so it just switched to this kind of storyboarding art um and i found those very striking yeah i think it does that really well in terms mm. of the the tone and keeping the tone to the ability for for us to keep going and and the the whole point of it just moving on and and um i i completely agree generally i'm like animations or things like that take me away but i thought this worked really really well um for that exact point that you mean mentioned, Simon, I think it worked because some of these would be way too big for this budget or this or this film or a film in general to to showcase. You know. No, I was just gonna say I found this one really impressive as well, and I think that um, it was a lot of times it was actually really oddly charming. Like the one scene that really sticks in my mind is the is the bit where. Um, um, he's dancing awfully and then he spots women dancing equally as bad and they kind of make eyes Then it goes in, in, into the future and she's pregnant and I just thought that was just so oddly charming I was like, I really like the way that it, it's balancing like these simple interactions leading to like that cause and effect of something much bigger at play happening in the future I just I like the way that it kind of the way that it showcased life like that I thought that was really nice yeah I think um what Steph's spoken about there is actually a particular example of how I think this is a wonderfully edited film. It would be very easy for, um, and you know, I mean, of course, like the reactions will, will differ slightly, and I think I, I think as we've discussed, me like Simon didn't quite click with the the storytelling in, in the same way that I I feel like I did. Um, but I think it's a wonderfully edited film. I think it would be very very easy for the editing of this film to make the pacing really pretty weird to be honest, uh, especially when you're dealing with the shorter runtime. You know, and we've already spoken about one film in the show in Women in the Window where 
eh, you know, the editing maybe leaves a lot to be desired. It's very, it, it, it's, it's important, I think, maybe sometimes overlooked part of filmmaking, but I think for this film in particular, it's actually extremely well done. I think that sense of cause and effect and the linking of one event to another and what impact it then has on Sebastian's life is really, really put together very well. And I think that it comes in two different ways. I think the editing from one vignette in one kind of scene to another I think works extremely well in terms of getting across time jumps and what effect it's had and why he finds himself at this point in his life I think the editing within scenes works well Mm -hmm. also but I think that kind of going between scenes it would be very easy for this film to end up feeling very disconnected and for me anyway it didn't it didn't feel that I thought I thought it flowed extremely well uh, and very effectively I'm really intrigued by Steph's comparison with Roy Anderson and I think I would like to revisit it with that in mind um, because I think that's a really interesting way of viewing the film. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say that, um, you know, the the editing that you mentioned, I think it, it does work really well and I do think sometimes you know we're 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 passionate here about short films but it it showcases how you can you know how you can make a shorter film this isn't a short film but it's a shorter film and it worked really well um and perhaps martin scorsese and some others you know you could learn a little <laughs> bit about editing <laughs> down i did did red rag to the bull here and i'm not of an idiot this right is this is this about the irishman because if <laughs> it is if it is we are spoiled for the fight here <laughs> It is about all of them in the last, <laughs> like, 15 years. Uh, I just think that there's, yeah, like, after a certain, and, and also just Netflix in general, after a certain time, we need to, you know, we, we can edit ourselves down and uh, and also be coherent. And uh, I think this film shows that. No, I, I'll, I'll fight you on the Irishman. I'll give, I'll give, if we're talking Netflix things, I'll give you the, um, the, the Kaufman film. I'm thinking of ending things. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah. Well, um, I think we mostly agree. The dog who wouldn't be quiet um, is quite good. It's uh, it is going to be available in the UK on um, uh, Curzon. Uh, and wh- when is that? Uh, May twenty first. May twenty first. And so look out for look out for that film. like being on vacation every day. The Disney World for retirees. It is like going off to college. You come here to live. You don't come here to pass away. There is no place like this. This is Nirvana. I'm just saying, for me, it hasn't been the fantasy land that I thought it would be. First, you know, for reasons that are, some are true to my own self, you know? Oh my God. <laughs> I think that when you live in the villages, you're acting the part. All right, so the next film we're going to review is the documentary Some Kind of Heaven, directed by Lance Oppenheim. And I have to say, it's almost a sequel. I'd like to call it the sequel to my senior thesis film and perhaps also a documentary about 
my weekends going to visiting my grandparents uh, my whole life. Um, but really, the film is about the villages, which is America's largest um, retirement city, town. Um, I think over 130,000 baby boomers live there in the middle of literally nowhere Florida. It's central, central, central Florida. Um, and there's about like 50 golf courses. It's sometimes called the Disneyland um, for retirees. But uh, the film really just catalogs uh, the life in the villages. Uh, and, um, you know, I was speaking of absurdist, sort of the absurdist life. But it, I, it does reflect on quite a few of these um, kind of outliers, um, some people who might not see this retirement community as absolutely perfect. So there's a couple, Anne and Reggie, who've been married for um, 47 years. Reggie's kind of going through, I don't know what kind of crisis, but he's going through a crisis in his life. And, you know, he get, you know, he has some drug possession and has to go to, um, you know, talk that over with the local courts. And then there's Dennis, um, which kind of is reminiscent of Nomadland a bit, but he's living in a, you know, he's living in a van looking for a of a, 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 another woman to, to, um, to, you know, to, to, to take him, uh, take him on. And then there's Anne who's kind of found herself in this situation. She's still working. She's not retired and she doesn't necessarily see this place as the dreamland, the Disneyland that some of the others do. Um, and so it's a bit about how they're dealing with the kind of, you know, the, the, and you know, your later years in life, um, and perhaps just the way that this community is built. Um, in fact, this community is sort of built on, I mean, it's very standard for Floridian sort of subdivisions and is built on this kind of new urbanism plan, which is kind of to design the bring back the old town center and try to in, in, encourage community. What what it doesn't go into this film is um, there's, yeah, there's quite a lot of controversy. It was actually one of the top places, I think, Trump, you know, it was like well, almost a hundred percent Trump, you know, not a hundred percent, but, you know, quite a, a big place where uh, there were a lot of Trump fans and, um, there's just been, you know, there's there there was quite a few STDs going around the town too. Like it was very cool and controversial um, in that sense. But yeah, it's it's known in the Florida realm as you know an interesting place. Um, and I'm curious what you guys thought of this film because I literally um, have been to many of those places. Uh, the the bowling alley my grandmother went to. Uh, you know, my parents my grandparents lived right five miles north of this place. They lived in the less fancy villages up north of that so i know it so well and it's actually very spot on in a lot of ways but yeah curious about what you guys thought about the film um pretty fascinating i i i, I did i enjoyed the film I, like, i'm sure we'll talk about its its qualities as a as a documentary in a bit but in terms of like the the subject matter it shows it's kind of fascinating, and it's funny. It's actually funny you bring it up. The thing about STDs there, because one of the things which one of the images which is there very early on in the film, which to me was just the most bizarre thing, is just all these sort of like you know very very senior, very grey haired folks grinding away to blurred lines. You know, it was it, it's one of the, like it was the, early on. It was just a. A very bizarre image to me. So it's definitely an interesting subject matter. I think I also appreciated a little bit the um, the moments where they speak to. Is it the son of one of the founders, or is it one of the founders? Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, about kind of what the 
what the motivation was for creating this place, and I think, and some of the stuff around wanting to create almost this kind of like time capsule of location of the, what the people of the age of the residents remember of like you know main streets and town centers of their their youth and trying to capture that it it, it, it gives a bit of color to what people mean by the Disneyland for retirees, um, and I think some of the different perspectives it gives. Um, you know, from both people who love it, people who are not so keen, uh, people who are having to deal with issues um, as a couple and individually and different things like that. I think it, it adds a bit of colour to it. I think there's maybe certain bits I would have liked to have seen it perhaps interrogate more, but I think that speaks to more of my fascination with the subject matter. I don't think it's necessarily something the film was looking to do, um, so I don't think it's, there's any point in criticising it for that. I think the stuff it does do in presenting those perspectives and presenting it in, with a particular tone and way, I think it did it very well, um, and I find it a, a, a fascinating documentary, to be honest. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I think on a technical level, it uh, uses colour, uses composition in a real kind of Wes Anderson way to, that kind of befits the idealised view of community that, that these managed communities are trying to get across. Um, and the way it represents that kind of living in a theme park, living in a fantasy world, um, living, you mentioned Trump, Amanda, living in a conservative fantasy of what America supposedly once was. Um, it just looks like they're living in the town from the Truman Show, um, and I, I found it fascinating to 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 get these perspectives from the people, um, and how it shows that even in this paradise, there's the spectres of mental illness, dementia, uh, loneliness, poverty, suicidal ideation. They're just hidden beneath this this surface veneer. Um, I think I would have liked to hear more about uh, the community as a whole how the community works and sort of how these villages were, were set up in the first place, how they're managed. But again, like Jim said, I think that speaks to, to my fascination more than any failing of the documentary. I thought it was really effective um, with its strong focus on the, the three central viewpoints of the, the four documentary subjects. Yeah, I thought this was a really interesting documentary. I've not really, I don't know a lot about the villages in Florida, I've heard a little little bits and bobs, but I've never really explored the topic. And I think that if you're going into it without knowing anything about it, you do learn quite a lot from what this documentary kind of provides um, provides you with. And it, it's really interesting um, how very American dreamlike it is. And I think, like Simon said, it's almost like a Wes Anderson film. It almost seems like it's, even in the documentary, it's kind of playing tribute to what it is. It's constantly just marketing itself as this kind of utopia. But then as you kind of, you dive into it, when you meet all the kind of the four characters that it um, fixates on and it tells their story, you, you realise that it's very much one of those places where people do um, do kind of move into um, and think that you when you go in there your baggage is sort of left at the door waiting for you if you ever leave but you, you bring it inside the whole way and you kind of see that a lot through Reggie who's having some sort of crisis um, and a lot of substance abuse issues and things like that and you see that you know that for him you know there's only a certain amount of solace that a place like that can really provide but on the flip side you have like you know someone like Barbara who's there to um, meet find love again 
um, and start her life again somewhere kind of afresh. And then you see how, like how determined she is to try and get the mo the most out of this place that she possibly can. So it's nice the way that they, you do have people kind of thriving in this place, but at the same time, you have people not really adjusting to it. And I think it just shows that for certain people, this is a kind of utopia, but for others, you know, it's never going to meet the the unrealistic expectations that they think it's gonna it's not gonna solve the problems in their life that I suppose it's advertised to do so. Um but yeah, I, I loved I got really engrossed into all the characters in it. I was so fascinated. I would watch a mini series about these people to be honest. The like the main the I felt like it was almost like a kind of West As West um Anderson kind of film, but with all the in some ways all the characters from like old Harmony <laughs> Crean films just thrown yeah. in, like the man living in his van, kind of trying to yeah. trying to seduce all these people to get a house, and I was just like, you know what, you can't even be mad. You're just sort of like this is just this is the most like honest reflection of this place and how these people are living and it was just so fascinating I liked how you know the director didn't just show you kind of the outside of it like he was taking following you like as Reggie was in court discussing his DUI or something that he's done while being stoned or or drunk and I was I, I really liked how you got every single side of this community it wasn't just mm -hmm. focusing on the the palm trees and the beaches and um, but yeah. at the same time it was you kind of felt like you were you were with them, especially. I was laughing when Jim was saying about them all grinding, and I felt like you almost felt like an awkward person sitting in this bar watching it, <laughs> and there was a second-hand kind of uncomfortableness. But it was just, yeah, it was quite a delight. I would definitely recommend it, especially to people that don't know anything about about um, retirement communities, especially um the villages. It's something that I don't think you. You'd, you couldn't describe to anyone without you'd have to Absolutely. see it for yourself for yeah. sure i think i mean it's definitely I, I i love that this i love this film so much but um i mean i'm slightly disappointed that lance got to it first because it was on my short list of topics of films that need to happen and it's good to hear that everyone quite enjoys the topic i i think it's the one thing i have to say is that i you know i having known the place and um you know, I I appreciate the absurdism that comes out in the in in the in the way that it's shot and the beauty and the way it's shot. I wouldn't necessarily call it Wes Anderson as much as almost Tim Burton and Edward Scissorhands, and I think that certainly like the attempt and Truman Show, for example. Truman Show for sure was filmed in a new urbanism design, and this is a new urbanism design that was created and manufactured for utopian, for older people to enjoy the utopian. And like I had briefly mentioned, I did one that about a film about one that Disney had created for, you know, sort of all ages and, and whatnot. Um, but I do find it kind of definitely quite depressing. I agree with everybody that it would have been nice to have focused a little bit more on the community aspect and kind of the overall sort of you know the overall generation of this place and 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 learn a little bit more about that but it really was a character driven and um i think it represents that not everybody fits within that utopian perspective and you're sold something um and and, and honestly you know you mentioned beaches there's no beaches around it's one i mean it, like i grew up nearby and it re like nearby or went to visit all the time it's it's somewhat in the middle of nowhere and I just I'm still shocked just on a conceptual notion that there's so many people who have just moved to absolutely the middle of nowhere and created, you know, <laughs> decided to plant themselves in a prefabricated area. 
And it, I find it quite depressing. And I think their responses to it, like there's, a, I think, a quote where she says, this is not reality. I mean, you know, imagine growing up there. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of fascinating. It's actually, it's, it's kind of sad. You don't, you don't get a comparison. To it. Like, just think of the shots of the place. And undoubtedly, like, you know, the filmmaking has heightened, heightened this impression. But it's very serendipitous, you mentioning um, Vivarium. In our, yeah. in the last review, actually, right, because in in the way that like some of these um, streets are shot and all the rest, and kind of like the, the you know the sameness of some of the the the, mm-hmm. the streets, it, it actually that's kind of what it reminded me of. I mean, obviously, it's not got the same sort of like sickly pallid green to the to the whole place, but just that yeah, but kind it of like, does though. If you yeah, go the, well, there, yeah, it yeah, you know, it's so it, it actually reminded <laughs> me reminded me a little bit a little bit of that. Um, I think. I also think it's a very well constructed documentary in terms of like covering a bunch of different aspects, but not not hammering home too much, um, you know. Because like, and it does a good job of contrasting things as well, you know. Like, you can certainly get, and I think that I think the trailer um, actually opens with this is like, you know, there's a group of women called Elaine. There's about twelve of them, so it does yeah, do like, amazing. "Hi, I'm Elaine." Hi, I'm Elaine, and it kind of hammers on this, the kind of like this, almost kind of like you know, groupthink, hive mind aspect of it, where you think everybody's kind of there because they all want the same thing and everybody's on the same page. But then you get the contrast where, um, you know, people don't, and in particular, I think the final shot of the film is it, it's kind of heartbreaking actually, and it it does, it does very skillfully i think get to different perspectives of this place it would be very easy to just lean into the absurdity of it and and don't be wrong i mean it definitely highlights that like quite what uh what an absurd place it can seem it doesn't shy away from that but i think it gets across very well um those differing perspectives and i think it does it in a way that goes beyond just the presentation of literally the presentation of different perspectives from different people um i think the way that certain um, events and incidents are are highlighted in the way that they are they're shot, um, or the way that they use footage from different sources, such as the courtroom hearing and things. I think it, I think it, I think it works very well in getting across um, an impression of the place. How accurate that impression is, I don't know. You're going to know far better than me, Amanda. Um, but I think it does that extremely well with the material that's there. It's an accurate impression of florida and i think that's the one thing that like you know what what even people responded to when i did the celebration thing people were like how you know how nuts it is to to live in that way or whatnot it's like actually this is just this is across the board you know some the the way people sort of live and 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 sold and i think that i think that's just this mixture of what you want versus what you you know who you are as an individual and how you how i I actually really responded very strongly to that and i I think i messed up saying barbara um i didn't mention barbara's name but both barbara and Anne. and i think i think it also shows not just i mean because they're they're human beings and they're it's a documentary and but i do think that that shows that the skill of this filmmaker to kind of really hone in on their you know on uh, you could you could really feel their um you know that their emotions you know whether it was loneliness or um you know the the feeling of being taking being patient with some you know with her partner for 47 years who's going through this transformation and it it's 
it was really, really strong character studies in that way. And I thought that was an exceptional, as much as I wanted to see other characters and the funny things that go on and, and, you know, the amusingness of, of that, I think um, that was, no matter where that was, that was really powerful, powerfully done. It was just done in a setting, which is, I mean, this camel, you know, that the preacher had or whatever. I, I mean, I, I certainly remember seeing a little dog yelling at a buffalo because they put a buffalo in, you know, in the cage to say, you know, here, you're where <laughs> buffalo roam, you know. And when I first saw that in the villages, I was like, where is this? Like, this is not this is surreal. Why do people live like this? Gators going by, you know, so it's it is that way. But I <laughs> it's. It's, you know, it's, it's not real and she's right, but the, these emotions and the lives that these people are leading are, are everybody's had and de- dealt with. And they, you know, they've just been planted into this, you know, this new surreal space that is, you know, that they were sold on. And, um, I, I, I think that that works really well as a documentary. So I really like that. That sense of unreality, um, sort of came through in I don't know if it's a part of the documentary or part of the community itself but the almost complete absence of of black people or Latin American people it's massively white um and it's got heaven in the title and Christianity white Christianity is a very heavy influence on the film there's churches there's a replica of the cross at Calvary it's it's a white Christian paradise, um, but there's no mosques, there's no, there's no synagogues, at least not shown in the. It, it's funny you say that, because si, because um, there was one line that really really stood stood out to me, and it's when it's it's focusing on a a pastor, and I think it was saying like um if you if you were like trying to basically tell people not to worry, say if you worry then you don't trust in God, and uh, like it, it, mm. and I'd say mm. the, there's different parts of the film where I think it it's. It gets a lot of stuff across very subtly, and I think like what you've touched on there, even just in the title, some yeah. kind of heaven, you know, like it's it's a smart film. It's a smart film. I think it get it gets a lot across yeah. without needing to, you know, be explicit about things. And I think that that when you have this sort of subject matter, that's the sort of documentary I seem to engage with, uh, and I appreciate that as an approach quite a bit. I think. And also note that it was too. This is the this is the podcast or this is the show of four by three. It was a four by three yeah. sort of um, you know aspect ratio, and so maybe that's like the new renaissance of uh, four by three filmmaking here coming out. <laughs> I think there is so much because it's so absurd, and especially when Simon talking about whitewashing and everything, um, and religious ideology kind of playing in the background quite subtly. I think it was would have been so easy to go into making this with quite a critical mind because this is obviously a very surreal way to live and I think up I think up for a lot of people it's unimaginable to kind of immerse yourself in that community for life and things like that. So I think if, I think it would have been very easy to be like, This is just absurd, like how can people live like this and make that kind of the focal point of this I think it, I liked much more how it just focused on looking at people's lives and how actually in some ways, especially I think 
with the character of Barbara, I think, in some ways for her, like how it does kind of enhance certain parts of your life. In some in some ways, it does actually work for people. Because so I think if you were going in to try and completely obliterate it by saying, um, these people are delusional, this is not going to ever kind of improve their life. But I think in, in many ways, it, 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 for many people, that that is kind of will be idyllic and that will be kind of a dreamland um, made come true. But I think that it also does well to say that um, much like, you know, the way that we can advertise that whole illusion of the American dream all the time, that it's not always as it seems and yeah. the one size does not kind of fit all. It's never going to be yeah. a utopia for many people. It's probably as many as it is going to be a utopia for. But I think I like how it leaned into a more discursive kind of narrative than it was and to be critical about it as a, as a place. You can imagine a lesser version of this film where someone like Louis Ferreira mm-hmm. is going in and interviewing these people and looking incredulous as they they tell him about their lives but i think the fact that it didn't do that um really speaks very well absolutely and i i agree and i was thinking the same thing i wasn't going to put louis through i was going to put um you know michael moore or morgan spurlock actually i would Mm -hmm. love to throw him out because he's one of my least favorite Mm -hmm. documentary filmmakers (laughs) to be fair i think think you were ahead of the curve on morgan spurlock to be honest (laughs) (laughs) but even um even you know netflix and i mean i know i threw tiger king at everybody you know at the beginning but like i think there's a lot of people who would take this story and sensationalize it in a way but i think something you brought up simon early is and that again it sort of brings me back to this nomad land sort of thing which is you know it 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 does deal with poverty and it it also really what's so depressing is that that community is not set up to manage poverty and that story of the you know him in you know kind of this um you know storage facility area you know like you know searching for help you know you're talking about this utopian you know place where there's all these people to help and they're not there and it's um you know it it really really brings that in and that's more powerful to me than some sort of sensational sort of you know, make sure that, um, you know, everyone who's nuts is is highlighted to be that way or something like that. You know, um, the kind of comedic tone that those, I would say, maybe more 90s, early 2000s, you know, documentaries that are, you know, finding a, 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 a type of person that's, you know, like on the outside and we're making fun of them a bit. Like this doesn't do that. It visually may, might make you feel that way that this is a surreal space and it's not somewhere where we would want to live but um i think it it, it's got more pathos and i i think that's just because someone did a better job making a film so some kind of heaven right now is um well on in the u.s it's on hulu and on the uk it's um at uh, dog wolf on demand um and i'm i think a few other places like amazon prime and all those so give it a look if you want to learn a little bit more about america's largest retirement town next uh, jim sat down with christos niku the director of apples First of all, congratulations on the film. I I saw it as part of the Toronto Film Festival. I I really enjoyed it. So thank you for talking to me. It's really good to to talk to you about the film. Obviously, there's a lot of ideas floating around in the film about memory, how we form memories, um, what they mean to us. 
and I I picked up quite strongly as I think many people have, um, particularly on certain strands like the allegories with social media in particular. The image that really stays in my head is Aris um, flipping through a photo album of photos that he's been directed to take, um, with this just complete dead pan look on his face. It, it, you know, there's no. It, it's like there's no real emotional attachment to that. And I want to connect that to the setting the film in kind of an analog world. You know, there's no internet, there's no smartphones, anything like that. Was part of the reason for that that we've? Do you feel like technological progress adds a bit of a sheen to this whole thing, where we've never been connected to more people, but maybe those connections have never meant as little as they sometimes do in these spaces. I was wondering if that if that was maybe part of the reason for the. The lack of digital technology in the film, basically. Um, yes, for sure. Uh, in general, I think that uh, the digital technology has affected a lot our memory uh, because I, d- I don't know how old are you, but uh, for example, I'm 36, and I remember that when I was very young, yeah. I-, I remember by heart around 50 phone numbers. Yeah. Right now. I remember one or two, and uh, uh, and we know how to go everywhere without a map or something like that. And right now we're using all the time Google Maps. Uh, so in a way, I feel that our memory, uh, even if you when you want to remember a name, you are not doing this. You are doing you are taking an IMDb. Ah, how is the <laughs> what is the name of this uh, actor? What is the name mm-hmm. of so we are not practicing so much our uh, memory anymore with the use of the technology. And in that way, I feel that uh, we are losing a little bit of our ability of remembering things. Um, and then uh, the reason why we used it, it's also because uh, we try to use elements that are almost forgotten, like Polaroid cameras or uh, old TV, old radios, or uh, old items that are not used anymore. And um, as we were trying to give a nostalgic approach, and I also feel that for me, it's stronger to make a comment about technology when you are not showing technology at all than mm-hmm. to just show all the people, and Ari is the main character, for example, walking on the street with his phone, cell phone all the time, and setting his cell phone in order to make a, a comment about how we use technology. Um, and uh, then from the other hand it's for sure also a comment about uh, social media as you mentioned before Uh, because I feel that what is scary for me is that how we how we experience life right now as we care more about the photo than to live the moment Mm. and uh, our main character is imitating things that he listens on a tape recorder and then uh, he takes a selfie with a polaroid camera and uh, he upload the photo on a normal photo album uh, when people upload the, their selfies with a polaroid filter in a digital photo album in their uh, social media account so um yes we wanted to make comment about how our society has changed uh, with the extensive use of technology and social media. 
one thing I I also wanted to ask was now obviously the the, the mechanism in the film uh, really for how people end up losing their memory is uh, is effectively this pandemic right and it, it's kind of a it's kind of an accident of timing really right because obviously with the, the on the time scale that you've conceived of the film and then shot it the current situation wasn't really something that could have been uh, predicted what i was wondering is the fact that the film has basically come out during that entire period do you do you worry at all any of the things that you intended with the film being lost in that sort of backdrop or do you lean more on the side of maybe appreciating the extra relatability that it could give um some viewers to the film or a bit or a bit or a bit of both even yes i feel that it's actually both because uh from one hand for sure uh the viewers uh could resonate easier uh, as this is, this doesn't sound like a science fiction, but uh, sounds something that they have lived uh, very recently, and actually they are still living, and uh, and uh, they can resonate easier with uh, elements like isolation, loneliness, uncertainty about the future that we are also dealing in the movie. Uh, and in the movie, I feel that something that I hope that uh, they will take from the movie uh, is that uh, we are giving an optimistic approach to it and uh, an optimistic ending. Uh, but then uh, I also hope from the other hand that uh, the audience will not stay on the pandemic because actually it's not a movie about the pandemic. Mm. No. It's a movie about much, much more things. The pandemic is just the the engine to, to, to start telling uh, st the story about, it's an allegory. It's something that happens in, uh, in the mind of, uh, of uh, the characters. And uh, um, I hope that the movie will work and that they will, they will feel, the audience will feel it even uh, after the end of the pandemic or, I mean, that, that the subject of memory is something timeless and I hope that it will work all the time in that way. Um, I wanted to talk to you about the, the casting of Aris, um, purely in that he, he really has a... To, to my mind, he was, he's kind of got this perfect expression or, in some cases, lack of expression um, for a lot of the scenes in the film. I was wondering at what point... Um, at what point he became involved? Is this something that you conceived with him in mind, or was it something that happened through the casting process? I was just wondering how how he came to be in the role, basically. Um, with Aris, we worked together in the short film that I directed before, because I have directed one short film, and he was the main actor. Uh, and so after the short film, we decided that we would love to work together uh, again. Um... And with my co-writer, we started writing uh, the script with him in our mind. We knew from the beginning that he would play. So it was very easy for us to imagine all the moves and everything that he's doing in the movie. As I, I know him very well. I mean, that uh, uh, we're good friends. And uh, so I know very well what he can do as an actor and how he performs. And uh, I love the minimalistic uh, way of performing. That uh, this lack of emotions, it looks like lack of emotions, but I feel that it's very deep <laughs> sometimes. 
and uh, uh, and we decided to to follow this uh, this way in the movie, this way of performing. Uh, and then something that I admire a lot on him is the the way that he uses his body, his body language, uh, because he was also working in the past as a dancer performer. Uh, and uh, we tried to, to 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 challenge him, to give him more challenges about this uh, through the script, in order to to create a character that uh, has also references from. Because I asked him to watch some movies of Zach Tati and uh, two movies with Jim Carrey, uh, The Eternal Sunshine and The Truman Show. Uh, in order to create a character that uh, has a little bit uh, also a comedic side uh, by performing with his body and uh, uh, something very, very deep in the way that he looks and very melancholic. On that note, in terms of the the tone of the performance, and you, you mentioned like some of the some other films and filmmakers that you asked him to take a look at. I was wondering what role, if any, Roy Anderson played in kind of the tone that you are approaching the film with. And the reason I ask is because there's been a lot of comparisons made between you and other Greek filmmakers, obviously like Yorgos Lanthimos, and that comparison has been made a lot. Um, but watching the film, I actually got quite strongly that sort of deadpan, absurdist humour off it. And I was wondering how much of a role that, that played in how you want to approach telling this story from the recent film history my two favorite european directors are uh, leos carax and roy anderson mm-hmm. so <laughs> roy anderson is yeah. is a guy that uh, if, even in greece uh, here in athens i mean we did a few a few years ago we did the i i I organized the retrospective with all his films all his commercials <laughs> all his short films so it's a, it's a person that I really admire. Yeah, okay, good. And uh, I feel that yes, the deadpan humor that we have in the film uh, is in a way uh, inspired by by his uh, filmography. Yeah, I, I got I got it. The, the the scene that I have in mind is the um you know do do does anyone know who Batman is? Yes. Uh, like that. <laughs> it, it was it was that bit that I kind of had in mind with with that sort of thing. Um. In terms of the the story of the film, now obviously a lot of what frames moment to moment is that these tasks that um, Aris is given by the doctors to kind of build memories and connection and all the rest of it. How did you how did you come up with those tasks? Were they connected to certain real life things you had in mind, or were they driven by other things? Uh, most of them are uh, things that I have lived in a way. I have experienced uh, a lot of things, but then uh, we were also trying to find uh, different moments of uh, and common moments, actually, of an average person, of an average life, uh, because we wanted to create very, very simple tasks that sounds very simple. For example, like a car crash, that is something that almost everybody have ex- has experienced, even in a in a strong or in a very light way. Uh, uh, but uh, how you can experience all these things when somebody is asking you to do them again from the beginning and to leave them. 
and uh, Shokesh who tried to, we made a list with my co-writer. Uh, there were more, of course, there were more, and uh, some of them were maybe more funny, or some of them were almost impossible to do them, like the jumping from a parachute that we were having in a script in a different way, with a parachute, I mean, from an aeroplane. Uh, and uh, and yes, we try to to create, uh, uh, as I said, uh, common moments, common memories of an average life that create different emotions. I was wondering, um, so I mentioned before that obviously you, you've worked with Yorgos Lanthimos before, and that's a comparison that a lot of people have made um, with this film. I was wondering how you felt about that, because it feels to me a little bit more like there's common influences and roots, perhaps, but the approach felt a little bit different to me. Um, in that I felt there was a lot more... You know, you, you linger on Aris's face quite frequently, and there's a lot of emphasis on um, human connection or lack thereof. I was wondering if... I was basically just wondering how you felt about that comparison because there are certain things that and then the pandemic thing that we've already spoken about where I I wonder if as a filmmaker you worry about people coming to the film with preconceived notions of how it's going to be based on that association that maybe isn't 100% accurate. Uh, I know. When, when somebody is going to watch a new Lanthimos film in this film, he, he will never see that. I mean, that for me, it's it's not Lanthimos film at all. Uh, mm -hmm. With Yorgos, uh, because I know Yorgos and uh, we have discussed a lot about movies in the past, uh, who were having almost from the beginning many common references. I mean, that I know that we love, we both love Bresson, we love uh, Roy Anderson, uh, uh, but I feel... Uh, that it's it's different that you can see some references and so you can see, but it's different. I feel that the style and the tone of the film uh, and the dialogues in general mm -hmm. is very, very different. And also the film that is more close to, because he's also creating a world, is uh, maybe that it's more close to his uh, movies, is maybe Lobster. Mm -hmm. uh, but we wrote Apples two years before Lobster, so I don't know what to say for that. I mean, I really don't know how to... Uh, yes, it's so... Maybe somebody will uh, recognize it or... I don't know. I, I feel that... I wish that the audience will go and watch a movie without thinking that I will watch a new Lanthimos movie or a movie about a pandemic. Uh, and uh, I feel that they will be more surprised if they will go in that way than uh, to wait to see. Because, for example, I read some reviews or some reactions that ah, it, it wasn't so sarcastic or so dark as Yorgos. But why the movie has to be sarcastic <laughs> or dark? Yeah. <laughs> who, who said this? Who, who asked uh, me to make a sarcastic or a dark movie? And uh, so I disappointed people. <laughs> no, I'm feeling that. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for talking to me. I certainly, I um, I enjoyed the movie a great deal. Um, so thank you for making it, and I hope it has a, I hope it's a great amount of success once it gets into UK cinemas once they finally reopen. Um, yes. Let's hope that first of all the theaters will reopen, and then all the next, oh, the rest of the things will happen. I mean, 
let's hope that we will return to watch movies in the big screen. So um, this is part of the episode where we um, highlight a couple shorts um, that we are readily available online and we think you should check out. Um, and uh, Steph, why don't you tell us what short you recommend? Yeah, um, basically I've, I've wired back into the, the Lynn Ramsey collection. So, And I, I realized I actually haven't seen a lot of her films, like the short films. I've seen, I've seen the features, but I haven't seen them. Um, any response? I, I I checked out um, Small Deaths. It's an eleven minute short and it's it's very good. It's set in um, Scotland, and it kind of where it goes is you can see exactly where it's kind of Ratcatcher and Morven Collar came from a few years down the line. Um, she kind of already has quite a distinctive voice in film. It's a very interesting kind of um, film about three kind of stories interlink about this one young girl and how um, kind of more death in a metaphorical sense than, than death in general, but. Um, it's definitely if you're a big fan of Lynn Ramsey, um, or you just want to see more about more from her as a filmmaker, I'd highly recommend checking that out. It's not 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 a new one. It's from 1996, um, and I, I'm sure I got it on short of the week. Um, if if it's not there anymore, it should be on film shortage. Um, I will drop a link anyway. Um, to be sure, but it's on one of the, one of those. Um, but yeah, definitely check that out. That's great. Yeah. I mean, um, one of the things that Cinotopia wanted to do originally, and hopefully we will, is a, a whole short short film compilation of Lynn's uh, Ramsey shorts because they're, they're, they're incredible. So thanks, thanks for sharing that. And Simon? Yeah, I watched a short horror film called Curve, directed by Tim Egan. Um, it's a very short film, just 10 minutes, um, but it's about a, a young woman who finds herself on a cement curve just above uh, a bottomless pit and abyss. Um, and for its length, it's really good at getting across that viscerality of of being on such a... being above a precipice, and it says some interesting things. It builds some interesting things about the world um, and, and the implications of, of this young woman's predicament. Um, it, it's really interesting for, for such a short film, Um and it's on Vimeo, I believe. Great. That sounds fascinating. Um, so definitely check those out. And uh, apart from all of our cinema going that we hope to do this month, um, what's everybody's uh, month look like? Uh, Steph, how, how's your month going to be? Um, currently quite unplanned at the moment. I'm hoping to, once cinemas reopen, get back on a schedule and stuff and, um, and catch some things that I haven't seen. I've, I've got... Um, you know, there's a few things like everyone that's now readily available to to access um through streaming platforms, but I'm not really sure if I want to kind of save some of that to see on the big screen. So it will depend if I'm I'm patient enough. But um, it'd be it's mostly going to revolve around them. I think checking out what some new releases and some kind of vintage stuff. Um, I um I don't have anything currently planned. I, I really want to learn to crochet, which is very irrelevant. But um I don't know my friends started knitting scarves and things are crocheting <laughs> scarves and stuff and I don't think I have the, 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 the steady hands for it, but I might give it a go to cure some lockdown boredom. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I agree. I um I wanna I I wanna go back into screen printing. So I'm just waiting for the screen printing 
classes to start again. But yeah, um, and also uh, the, right when the weather's getting good is when cinema's open again. So it's it's one of those hard things, right? Uh, Simon, what's your month looking like? Uh, yeah, my next month is a big month of conferences. I've somehow got myself speaking at two Twin Peaks conferences over consecutive weekends. Um, so I'm just immersing myself in David Lynch uh, for the next month, really. Um, once those conferences are done, I'm hoping to get out to the cinema a bit more and hopefully write more reviews of uh, new releases and stuff. But yeah, just focused on that at the moment. Wonderful. And Jim? Uh, just keep an eye on what's coming out. I I, I, I haven't got a, a good handle on what is coming out when now with all the delays and, and reopening and, and stuff. So I think I, I, I'm living at the moment about a... Five less that literally less than five minute walk from a cinema that I would be spending a lot of time in, um, in normal time. So I'm basically just waiting to see what hits that. Uh, and beyond that, I think also July Fast and Furious 9 are going to Edinburgh and space, you know. So there's that. <laughs> wow, and I mean, I do, I do think um, they're going to start. I think Ben Affleck's coming to town as well, uh, for the new Batman filming oh yeah no I've i saw heard. that yeah, yeah right maybe off. benifer will will maybe jennifer will join it's not news nobody else <laughs> yeah. knows about <laughs> so yeah no i i'll be keeping an eye on the cinema schedule because there's a lot of the, you know there's a lot of stuff um kind of, i think um a quiet place part two of kind of blockbustery things that are long delayed i oh, think that's really yeah. the first one that's going to hit um that'll be an interesting and that's it again it's another one of these films um for which it is probably best to see in the cinema so you know yeah French Dispatch, which is Wes Anderson's next film, was supposed to come out right before lockdown too. So um, that could be good. Yeah, I heard he started on his film after the French Dispatch already. It's yeah, really. So long for that to come out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so lots to look forward to. Um, better weather, more more cinemas, um, going back to the cinema, and uh, and all of that good stuff. So. Um, yeah, uh, we hope you have a really, um, we, you, you get to enjoy that stuff as well, and we'll see you next month. Bye.